Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Good morning, Hope Fellowship Church. How you doing this morning? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. How you feeling this morning? All right, oh, all right, all right. I like a little energy, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, man, it's so good to be here. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to be up on the stage. Thankful to Aaron and John getting me up here. Uh, I have lived in McKinney for about eight, McKinney Frisco, about 18 years. I've worked in four churches around this area. And so Hope Fellowship has always been one of those churches that's just kind of around, right? But I've never been able to come and worship with you beautiful people. So this is fun and exciting to be here. Um, I'm thankful for getting to really get to know uh, Aaron and John and the staff as we've been talking through unity. I've gotten a chance to spend time with them. I uh, hung out with the staff a couple of months ago on a staff development. I even get to hang out with the director of your unity uh, group. And so this is a, a fun time, right? Um, before I get started, I want to do as well, like Aaron, I want to get a shout out to all the fathers in the house. Shout out. Happy Father's Day. Give it up for those fathers again. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I am also a father, and so you'll see on the screen a picture uh, of the, my family here. Uh, I've got my, my beautiful and talented wife, Lisa, in the middle, and I've got two boys. I've got my oldest son over here who is 15. He is Marcus Jr. We call him Deuce. Uh, he just took his test for like his permit, so God help me and all of you as well. Uh, and this is my youngest son right here. This is Solomon. He will be 13 in just a few weeks, correct? Uh, he's got kind of his Clark Kent thing going right here. If you see him today, he's more in his Superman mode. He has his glasses off. So he's hanging out over here. My boys are here. It's exciting. Uh, Father's Day is a big deal in the Lloyd household. Uh, we love to celebrate it, my wife especially. Uh, she was really excited to celebrate Father's Day this year, and she did so by leaving town yesterday. And left me to be a single dad for four days. What a gift. Hallelujah. It's perfectly fine, though, because we have this joke at the house that I tell her that Father's Day is in no way as important to the world as Mother's Day. It's just, you don't clap for that, ma'am. That's not, you have made my point by clapping about that. I mean, it's crazy. Here's the deal. Here's, I, I, if, I don't show your hands, fathers. But 60% of the fathers in this room did not even know it was Father's Day until this morning when your kids said, Happy Father's Day, Dad. And the other 40% found out when Aaron said, happy Father's Day, right? So it's okay, I understand. And guys, we understand this, right? We get into this mode of understanding what our place is in the midst of our house and with our, with our wives and moms. In fact, I learned this several years ago uh, by watching a famous comedian and now infamous comedian as he talked about raising boys, right? He was talking about being a dad of a, of a boy and wanting, to be, wanting that child to be an athlete. And you get the kid, right, at like two years old, and you start to work him into playing football, right? And you're getting out there, and you're wrestling with him, right? And you're knocking him down, and they're getting up, and you're sticking him on the tree, and they're biting the tree, and they're biting it again, right? And they start growing, and he's like, let's tackle me, and they hit you, right? And they get bigger, and they get stronger, and you don't want them to hit you anymore. So you let them flee on, on high school, and they get the football, and they run 800 touchdowns a game. And then they get a scholarship to the big college with 3 million students and 800,000 people in the stands cheering for your kid. And they throw him the ball and he catches the ball and he doesn't even bother to go around anybody anymore. He just runs right through him all the way to the touchdown at the national championship. And the cameras are there and you're looking and he goes, hi, mom. <laughs> yep. That's what it's like to be a dad. But we love it. That's okay. We love being a dad. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe that 
is more to do with the issues we have as fathers. Because I know there are people in here who have great dads, right? And they love their dads, and they're so excited to celebrate Father's Day. But there's also some folks in here who maybe have some dad wounds, right? Maybe your father wasn't around. Maybe you never knew your father. Maybe you're estranged from your father. Or maybe your father was, was physically present in your house, but emotionally disconnected from you. Maybe that's where you are today. And so as I was getting prepared for this message, I, I was reading through the scriptures, and, and something came to me in the midst of it. And it's this one thing that I want you to take with you. And this one thing I want to take with you, want you to take with you, is this, is that God is a father who fights and feels for his children. God is a father who fights and feels for his children. Now, if you open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 103. Uh, we are in the series of joy, pain, and praise in the Psalms, and so we're going to be checking that out. So um, as we start this, and you're starting to look in Psalm 103, you'll see that it starts with this phrase, bless the Lord. Now, I want to, has anybody, I grew up in church. Anybody grow up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you grew up in church. I was that kid who had that drug problem. You know, you were drugged to church every day, right? <laughs> Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you were there all the time. And I, let's be honest, there's some things that we say in church that nobody knows, they don't know what it means. Like, we don't know what it means. But we say it all the time. And we know when to say it because it's always said at the same time. And you're like, oh, this is when I'm supposed to say this thing. And bless the Lord is one of those things. I would come in to the, the church that I went to, and the music minister would step out, and he'd always say, all right, let's bless the Lord, everyone. Everyone bless the Lord. And then he would start to get the choir going, and he would start to say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that. He was a very operatic guy. I didn't understand half what he was saying. And I was in the back, and I was like, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Because when he would say bless, people used to say, hey, go be a blessing. Go bless that person. And it was like, give a gift to that person. I thought, well, how am I going to give a gift to God? Right? He's like the giver of gifts. How do I bless God? And so when we see bless the Lord today, what we're going to see is David, who wrote this psalm, he's saying to God, thank you, Lord. He's telling God how thankful he is for him. And in fact, when I was growing up, we had a singer who used to say, thank you, Lord. And he would sing it out, thank you, Lord. You've been misunderstood. Thank you, Lord. So today, you're going to do that today. <laughs> like, what's, what's happening here? What's going on? Yes, here's the deal. When I say throughout the sermon, I'm going to say, bless the Lord, and you're going to respond with, thank you, Lord. Just like that, okay? Let me see if you can do it. Bless the Lord. Okay, let's, um, let's try this again. It's not, quite, it's not quite there. It's like, thank you, Lord. No, 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 no. It's thank you, Lord. Like you, got, like you almost got to get caught off guard by it. I want you to pull a muscle when you say thank you, Lord. Okay, let's try it again. Bless the Lord. I need movement. Hey, McKinney, uh, Prosper, uh, y'all got to get this as well. I need to hear you too. I need to hear it like a moon right here. Last time. Bless the Lord. There we go. Y'all are getting it. All right. Let's take a look at the scripture today, and we'll see if you guys are really going to be with me on here. Well, it starts out, right, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. Oh, my goodness. And oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, David in this moment has been thanking God for all that he's done for him, but now he's about to switch 
and thank God for what he's done for his people. These are the Israelites. So when you listen to this next part, don't think of it as an individual like God's thanking for you, but as a member of his people, which is the church, which is the people of God, the children of God, Jews and Gentiles, all tribes, tongues, and nations. That is the group. In fact, it's said when God is a God who feels and uh, fights and feels for his children, the children in that is the church. That's you, okay? Let's continue on in verse 6 and let's see what we got here. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, those who are in awe of him, his children. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove Remove his transgressions from us as far as a father. This is it. Shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord. All his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord. All his works and all his places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Give yourselves a hand for playing along at that. Fantastic. Now, we've read the passage, and as I read the passage, as I mentioned earlier, the thing that I saw, the two things that I want to zoom in on here is this one thing, that we have a God who fights and feels for his children. Now, the first part is we have a God who fights for his children, right? Now, when I think about a father who fights for his children, I think about Liam Neeson in that movie Taken. Y'all know that movie? Yeah, yeah. You know what happened. Like his daughter went to Europe at 19, way too young to go to Europe with her friend. She's in the house, she's talking to Liam Neeson on the phone, and all of a sudden these guys break in, and they start to kidnap her friend, and they're going to take her, and he's like, they're going to take you, baby, just so you know. But when they do, I want you to hold out the phone, I want you to tell me all the things that you see, all right? And so she's in there, and she's under the bed, and all of a sudden she's talking on the phone, and then all of a sudden she's jerked out, ah! right? And all of a sudden the phone is laying down there, and Liam Neeson's on the other side listening in. And you can hear the phone being picked up, and the kidnapper's on the other side, breathing. It's not Darth Vader, but he uses the force. (laughs) And Liam Neeson's like this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If it's money you want, I don't have much money. But what I do have is a particular set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Now, if you bring my daughter back, that'll be the end of it. But if you don't bring my daughter back, I'll look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. And every father in the theater is like, yeah, baby, go get that fool. Now, look, if it's me, I would totally go after that dude. If I wasn't a Christian and the Ten Commandments didn't say I shouldn't murder, yes, I would go kill that dude. 
Absolutely. Because I want to fight for my children. See, and, and, and that's the job I think that fathers lean into these days. Now, here's the deal. Fatherhood today is just different than it was when my dad was going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, my dad didn't have to know how to cook. He didn't have to clean anything. He had to change diapers or put kids down or talk about your feelings. He didn't do any of that. My dad and your dads were grunts. These dudes were pack mules. They carried everything around that was heavy in the house on trips. They were exterminators. They had to get rid of bugs in the house or animals, be they rabbits or squirrels or mountain lions, right? They had to take care of all that business. They were shields. If Thanos came in to invade the earth and brought an alien army and they were shooting lasers at you and your family, the father was to jump in front of the family and shield them from the lasers. Now let's be clear. These are lasers. Everybody's going to die anyway. <laughs> but the job of the father is to be found on top of his family because that means he's not a deadbeat. He was shielding. He was doing his job. He's to protect. Like if, if there is a neighborhood kid that is bullying your child, your job as a father is to protect that neighborhood kid from your wife, right? That's what you do. You try to protect them because those mama bears will come after him, right? So the father protects the community from the mama bear. That's part of the job. And we have a father who fights and protects as a shield as well for us. I love what it says in verse 6 of 103. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is a father who fights for his children. And it's David talking, right? And he mentions these terms, righteousness and justice. And these terms are coupled together all throughout the Bible. But in the book of Psalms, which David wrote most of, we see it occur 11 times, right? We see it in 33.5, 33.7, or excuse me, 37.6, 37.6 again, 37.30, 72.1, 72.2, 89.14, 94.15, 97.2, 99.4, and 103.6. Now I tell you all that. So that when you hear me say the word justice, you know that it's not about what we're talking about today in our environment, but that we've been talking about justice for a long time, way before today. God is a God who brings righteousness and justice to those who are oppressed. And the word righteousness and justice go together like this. Righteousness is the state of rightness in a community, right? It's stability. It's steady. Everything's just right. When things go wrong, justice is the act to reset things back to rightness and righteousness. I love what it says in the Passion International version of this verse. It says, you're a God who makes things right, giving justice to the defenseless. He makes things right for the oppressed and the defenseless. Now, who is David talking about here? He talks about the oppressed and defenseless. In the book of Psalms, he identifies the oppressed as the poor, the weak, the afflicted the destitute, the righteous even, the needy, the hungry, prisoners, and the fatherless. This is who God identifies as the oppressed. Now, David is talking about the oppressed very generally, but he's also thinking very personally or communally. Because David, David sees his people, the Israelites, as a people who are marginalized and oppressed. In fact, it's very important for us as we approach the Bible that we understand that the majority of the Bible is written by people who are experiencing marginalization and oppression. And the scriptures that are birthed for these people are to help them understand how to live a life 
in the midst of being marginalized and oppressed. How to be a model community, how to bring the message of God in an environment where people are, are oppressed. That's important for us to understand. And David doesn't just stop with that. Like he's not just talking about uh, engaging with the oppressed, but he also is talking about a very specific event in the life of his people. If you'll see here, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, so what event is he talking about here? The slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. You see, slavery is a violation of the natural state of humans created in the image of God. Freedom is our natural state, so slavery is a violation of that. The violation of that is a sin, and it breaks up the righteousness into unrighteous, and the society is unrighteous. And so God has to reset back to righteousness, and he does so in this particular scenario by bringing justice in two forms. First is retributive justice, or punitive justice, in which he brings punishment to Pharaoh and the community of Egyptians with ten plagues. But then he also brings a restorative justice, which is the predominant way God brings justice in the midst of the Bible. And this restorative justice comes in the form of freedom and liberation, both physically and spiritually. For the Israelites, they experience a justice, a restorative justice of liberation that is physical. And then the Egyptians and Pharaoh get an opportunity to experience a restoration from, with God by bringing the justice, uh, uh, a restoration with God by a liberation from uh, the spiritual sin. You see, slavery is a sin. In fact, it, it talk, and, it's, and it's a sin that ins, uh, <laughs> sin enslaves you to the devil, to the powers and the principalities of this dark world. Look what it says here in John 8, 34. It says in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Our sin enslaves us. The Egyptians were enslaved to sin. And so God is offering a spiritual restoration coming to them and pulling them out of the pit of hell. Look what it says in verse 4. It says that God redeems your life from the pit. The pit is hell. The, the, the prison for those who choose sin over God. And so God comes and says, I will restore you. I'll give you a chance, you Egyptians, to break free of this. And now most of the Egyptian society takes him up on it. Or it looks like he does because it looks like they do. Because they let the Israelites leave and go away. But Pharaoh doesn't. Pharaoh chooses to not take God's invitation. He follows after the Israelites. And instead of being restored, he is destroyed in the Red Sea. And so we understand that this is part of what we have to understand is that there is a spiritual and a physical way in which we are released from this. And David is in this passage. He is thanking God, right? Bless the Lord. He is thanking God that God is a God who rescued his people out of slavery. But he's also thanking God for being a God who will come and bring righteousness and justice to all who are oppressed. Bless the Lord. There we go. I got you. Ready to check it out. Now, on, on, uh, tomorrow, we get an opportunity to celebrate and echo David's thanks to God that's represented even in our own country's story. You see, tomorrow we celebrate, Aaron already talked about, we celebrate Juneteenth, right? And Juneteenth is really a celebration that marks the day that African slaves in Texas were finally given the support that they needed to live in and to actually be free, right? In 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation is signed where all slaves in the Confederate States are freed. And then the Slave owners and the community of Texas decides, no, we're not doing that. You're 2,000 miles away. If you want these slaves free, you're going to have to come do it yourself. So two and a half years later, 6,000 6, troops, some of them African-American, come to the shore of Texas in Galveston. 
And the major general, Gordon Granger, stands up in front of Galveston and he reads general article number three that frees the slaves and now gives them backup if they're not going to have it. Right? And so the slaves are freed. And so that was on June 19th, 1865, when my ancestors who were enslaved in Texas were officially freed in this state. Six months later, in January, they had their first Juneteenth celebration where all these freed African families, African-American families come to old, the courthouse in, old, in Galveston and they process and sing and dance all the way to the black church, Reedy Chapel AME Church, so that they could thank God that he's a God who brings righteousness and justice to those who are oppressed. Bless the Lord. So this is an opportunity for us to celebrate. In fact, what I would say is some people, when they think about Juneteenth, they go, oh, that's a black holiday. No. Juneteenth is a church holiday. Because we get to engage in things that God has asked us to do as the church. One is lament and one is celebrate. First, we get to lament the pain, right, of people who were enslaved just for the color of their skin. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to lament a society that was enslaved to sin and the powers and the dark places of, or the powers and the principalities of this dark world. We lament that. We also lament the, the 700,000 lives that were lost protecting this institution in the midst of the Civil War. We lament the collaboration of the church in this enslavement and the misuse of scripture that was used to maintain it. I don't know if you've ever heard of the slave Bible. Anybody heard of the slave Bible before? The slave Bible is what Christians would give their slaves. It was the version of the Bible they gave them. Now this Bible, they cut 60% of this Bible, they removed it. The Bible only has, four, it only has passages from 14 books in the, book, in the Bible of the 66 books. And you wanna know one of the books that's not in there? The Psalms. The Psalms talk so much about justice and freedom that they didn't want the slaves to have it. In fact, it's interesting to note that, that they had to remove 60% of the Bible because it talks so much about how we have a God who brings righteousness and justice to the oppressed. It's almost like you can't talk about righteousness and justice in the church, right? Are you, the, only, the only way to talk about the Bible is to talk about righteousness and justice. And so we celebrate that or we lament that. But the celebration we get to have, this joy and praise as we celebrate the restoration of humans to their rightful state as free. We celebrate the restoration of those and the, uh, who choose to not go down the pathway of enslavement to sin, but rather choose to let the slaves go free. We celebrate those uh, who, we celebrate a God who keeps his promises to the oppressed and that we know that people all over the world who are oppressed, they can see this and know that it, there is a God who keeps his promises and we can celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit that broke through this misuse of the scripture and created a people that chose to go to church, make a church, and to celebrate a God that was used even by their enslavers. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. In fact, what does it look like for the people of God to not celebrate a holiday where people were people made in the image of God were freed from slavery and gave God credit for it. What does that look like? And this is why I'm so excited to be here with you at Hope Fellowship and be able to come in here to talk about it. We celebrate it together. 
Now, some of you are like, oh, I want to get in. I want to celebrate this. I'm going to put a QR code up here. As Aaron mentioned, I have a, a ministry in which we ga- engage in this racial reconciliation, unity, and justice from a biblical standpoint. And so we know how to help. We want to help people celebrate Juneteenth in a very faith-filled way. And so on this QR code, there's some next steps for you if you want to. There's ways to, to engage this conversation of Juneteenth with your children. There's ways to engage this conversation for yourself. I have a friend who just made a documentary last year called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. It's a fantastic documentary. There's a link there that you can watch that tomorrow if you want to. Uh, I have a podcast called Colored Commentary, and we actually interviewed the director of that project, and it was a great interview to learn even more about how the church can actually celebrate this church holiday together so that the world will know that there's a God who brings righteousness and justice to all who are oppressed. Now, we've talked about God who fights for his children, but as I said, the one thing we're talking about today is that we have a God who fights and feels for his children. Now, I want to be, obviously, you can tell there's a bias here because I'm talking about fights and feels, and it's clear, if you can hear so far, that I believe that fathers tend to have a pretty good idea of how to fight for their children, but many of us actually struggle with how to feel and engage in the emotions with our kids. And maybe I'm saying that because it actually mirrors my story. Uh, My father uh, lost his dad when he was eight years old to an 18-wheeler accident. And that launched his family into financial state in which my grandmother, his mom, could not take care of all her five kids. So she farmed out uh, two of her kids, my dad and his brother, to go be raised by their grandfather. Now let me put this in some context for you. Uh, My dad was born in 1949. His dad, my grandfather, who died, was born in 1923. My great-grandfather, my dad's grandfather, who he went to stay with, was born in 1888. So think about that as a black man living in the South in 1888 trying to raise your kids. What must that have been like? Now, although he was free from slavery, the society itself was not freed from this enslavement to the powers and the principles of this dark world, and they practiced overt forms of racism and white supremacy. And so as a black black man leading your family, you had to wrestle and protect your kids and your family from a lot of things. Some of them were physical. You never knew when there was going to be this vicious white mob that may come into your neighborhoods, burn down your neighborhoods, lynch your father and your mother, drown your brother and your sister for just little things like talking back to a white dude in public or not calling them by their first name. And you had no protection from this because the people and the institutions that were supposed to protect you, like the politicians and the pastors and the police, they were co-signing, encouraging, and even participating in this terrorism. Some of them were even joining the, the, the uh, professional terrorist group, the Ku Klux Klan. And so you're trying to protect your folks physically. But you also had to protect them mentally, your kids, because you were under this humiliation of what they called Jim Crow laws. Now, Jim Crow laws were these laws in the United States that controlled the way black bodies could move and exist within society. They had things where they relegated us to the back of the bus, to different train cars, to come in back entrances and places, right, to go to different schools and to drink from different water fountains. It even, it even inspired when you traveled throughout the United States that black families had to sleep in their cars and, and go from town to town not knowing if they were going to find a hotel that would let them stay, a restaurant that would let them, let them eat, or any place that they can use the bathroom. And you've got, to, you've got to lead your children as they're seeing all this humiliation and see them even dealing with their own humiliation in the midst of that. As you look at your 16-year-old daughter, and you have to tell her that the amusement park that you just saw advertised on TV was not for her. And you can see the tears welling up 
in her eyes as she realizes the thing that was keeping her out of this amusement park was the color of her skin. And you start to see the black cloud of inferiority starting to make her way into her mental psyche. And then you as a man are fighting your own battles because everywhere you go, your first name is the N-word and your last name is boy, no matter how old that you are. And you're tiptoeing through society, never knowing where the attack is going to come, whether it's going to be humiliation or it's going to be physical. And you're plagued with these inner fears and resentments, forever fighting this degenerating sense of nobodiness. This is the man who raised my father. This is the society in which he and my father grew up in. There was no option for feels. If you were to evaluate your feelings in the midst of that, you would either drown in depression or explode in rage. And then my dad has children, myself, my brother, my sister. And at 45, I represent the very first generation of African-Americans who were born in this country with all their rights and privileges. Now, we still got to fight, but we also want to feel. But I have a community of men and even women who don't know how to practice that because they were never allowed. And even to this day, my dad struggles through his feelings and engaging that. And even as I've tried to encourage him to go to a counselor and talk about these feelings, he doesn't go. And I think part of the reason is he's afraid of what he might find and what he might become if he engages those feelings. And so I don't blame him. In fact, as I was thinking about that this week, I saw verse 13 in our passage where it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now this word compassion in the Hebrew represents a mother's womb. This is a great place for fights and feels, right? Because it's a place of nurturing, but it's also a place of protection. So what it means is that fathers have this job. And so as I was reading this, it made me get into a whole other posture with my father. It was in a posture of acceptance. And I want to invite you to get into some of these postures too. The the first posture of acceptance I want to go is for us who have fathers, the kids. And that is first is that you would accept the efforts of your father. You see, as that passage says, the job of a father is fights and feels. It's compassion. And it's expected, right, as a father, not if a father shows compassion, as a father shows compassion. So there are, in every father, there is a, 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 a propensity to fight and to feel. Now, maybe, again, you maybe had a father like mine for different situations who never really expressed those feelings, but I can guarantee you that they were there. As a father myself, I know that they are there, and maybe it's just hard for him to express those feelings. You see, the inability to express the feeling doesn't, doesn't determine, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't mean it's absence. In fact, I would wager that Liam Neeson in that movie, he wasn't just, a, wasn't just going after a bloodlust, right? But he had a deep love for his, father, for his daughter. That's what made him fight. And so we accept the efforts of our fathers. In fact, my own father, he has a hard time saying I love you. He says, uh, we love you. Your mother and I love you. Which is fine. But what I've learned with my father, he shows love to me in different ways. Whenever he comes to the house, he always comes and he goes to Costco's, as he calls it. (laughs) And he fills up the fridge and he brings wine for my wife. And then when I'm gone, he fixes stuff in the house that I didn't know was broken. (laughs) I came back from Israel the other day and he had rearranged everything in the garage, which I was appreciative of, but now I can't find nothing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
And then he, had a, and he bought a grill. I was talking to my son. He's like, uh, granddaddy bought a grill. I was like, what? That's how my dad shows love. And so I accept my dad's efforts of how he shows love. The second posture of acceptance for us is for the fathers. And for us, it's accept the full assignment. See, guys, we have to recognize that we are supposed to be men who fight and feel for our children. So we have to accept that full assignment. And maybe, again, you've had an upbringing like me, and you struggle with the feelings part, right? I struggle with his feelings. I'm, I'm always, I, went to, I have a counselor who gave me a list of feelings because I couldn't name them. So he gave me a list so that when I have feelings, I can go there and point, oh, this is what I'm feeling today, right? And maybe you're in that situation. And if you want to get better at that, let me give you what I do. Mimic your wife. <laughs> do what she does. Women just have a great way. They are able to do great with their feelings. And maybe they have an advantage because some of them have carried a baby, actually, so they know about womb. But they also know how to fight. I already told you that no, no, no child is safe in my neighborhood if they mess with my kids, right? They got fights and feelings, which is probably why Mother's Day is celebrated more than Father's Day. So you mimic your wife and do what she does, but you have to accept the full assignment. And the last posture for us today and this is for those maybe who are in here and you don't have fathers, you never knew your father, you're estranged from your father, your father left you, whatever that is, is that you accept your adoption. Accept your adoption. You see, in this passage, we find that there is a God in heaven who fights and feels for his children. And if you come to know this God, if you put your life and your trust in him, then you will see in the passage that there's a couple of things that you'll see. First, in, in this verse, first verse, we'll see that you have a God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You'll also see that there is a God who, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He loves you, those who fear him, his children. Next verse. And you see that there's a God that, his steadfast, that the steadfast love of the Lord is forever. It's everlasting. This God has a love that doesn't stop. It's not conditional. It's forever for those who fear him. Last is what we've been reading, is that you have a God who shows compassion, right? Just as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion and the perfect form of compassion for those who love him. So for those of you who may not have a father, those of you who even do, know that we have a God who will fight and come alongside you in the way that you feel. So happy Father's Day, Hope Fellowship Church. I pray that this Father's Day and this Juneteenth and every day that you have will be an opportunity for you to recognize our Father in heaven and our Father on earth, and our Father, our fathers on earth who fight and feel for their children. Bless the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for you as our father, the perfect father, because we know that even if we don't have fathers, we have you, and even if we are fathers and have fathers, we know that when, when we fail as a father or when our fathers fail as fathers, God, that we still have a perfect father who knows us and who fights for us and who can hear us and enter into our world and engage us in the ways that we feel. I'm thankful for this church and just the, the, uh, the imprint that they've left on this community, God. Help them to grow. Help them become more like you and help them to go out into the world and make your name famous in every place that they go. We love you, Father, and we tell you so in the name of Jesus. And everybody in the church said, amen. amen.
Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.